0: scripture lesson this morning is from Psalm 80. Hear the word of God. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim. Shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God, let your face shine, that we may be saved. O God, Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears and given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us the scorn of our neighbors, our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts, let your face shine, that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea, its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stalk that your right hand planted. They have burned it with fire, and they have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your countenance. But let your hand be upon the one at your right hand, the one whom you made strong for yourself. Then we will never turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call on your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine, that we may be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we might be saved. Let your face shine that we might be saved. Let your face shine. The Bible has a strange relationship with the face of God. The Psalmist's repeated refrain here in Psalm 80 echoes throughout scripture Let your face shine that we might be saved. Psalm 67 begins, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make God's face to shine upon us. It was the Lord who spoke to Moses, giving the words of blessing for Aaron to pronounce to the people of Israel. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. According to the book of Exodus, the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. But pretty much at the same time, the Lord tells Moses, you cannot see my face for no one shall see my face and live. So, God, so Moses speaks to God face to face, friend to friend, And Moses cannot see the face of God because no one shall see the face of God and live. The face of God is invoked as a blessing or is it a curse? Let your face shine that we might be saved. No one can see the face of God and live. When it comes to the face of God, the Bible is a bit confusing. The life-threatening implication related to the face of God comes in response to Moses asking to see God's glory. And that's when God tells Moses to go stand on a rock. And as the glory of the Lord passes by, the Lord will hide Moses in the cleft of the rock and cover Moses with a divine hand until the Lord passes by. And the Lord tells Moses, then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. My face shall not be seen. God's glory, God's face, God's face, God's glory. In the rich imagery and poetry that fills the pages of Scripture, the glory of the Lord and the face of the Lord seem to be one and the same. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we might be saved. Let your glory shine that we might be saved. Restore us, O God, by your glory. In the Gospel accounts of the birth of Jesus, we all know there's quite a bit of angel talk. The angels are busy. Matthew reports an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Luke tells of lots of angels, the angel who appeared to Zechariah, the angel Gabriel who came to Mary, and of course the angel who lit up the sky above the shepherds and brought a multitude of heavenly hosts, i.e. lots and lots and lots of angels. If we're honest, most of us have a strange relationship with angels. Maybe it's better to say we're just not sure what to do with angels, other than enjoying them and their their attire at a Christmas pageant. On the pages of scripture, angels always come with a fear factor, otherwise the appearance wouldn't come with do not be afraid. And I've always just assumed Gabriel appeared with the same radiance as the heavenly host who stood above the shepherds. At least that's what artists have led me to believe. Angels, fear, splendor. As Luke puts it, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Even more than messengers from God. The angels of the nativity reflect something of the glory of God. Yes, mid the imagery and poetry of scripture, the angels offer yet one more witness to the glory of God. Angels are the gospel version of the psalmist invoking the face of God. An angel of the Lord, the face of the Lord, the glory of the Lord, Gloria in excelsis Deo. Back in Exodus, When God allows Moses to see God's back but not God's face, the Hebrew dictionary is pretty clear about what is meant by back. It's the backside, the hindquarters, the back parts. The term bears the connotation of rear end. But forms of the same word can carry more of a connotation of not the backside but the aftermath. The backside, something that carries with it a sense of timing afterwards, in the wake of, coming after. All the adults in the room chipping in to pick up in the aftermath of a little child's chaos after they go to bed on the backside of her day. Finding the treasures left behind by a grandmother after her visit, a note, a card, a trinket, a dollar, enjoying the back end of grandma's visit basking in the glow, still offering a shout after the parade passes by, a shout from the backside of the parade, Moses, and the backside of God's glory, the wake of God's glory, the leftovers, the crumbs of God's glory. The experience of God's glory, then, takes an incredible turn with these angels. The angel talk in Luke and Matthew provides the first set, the first step in the evolving experience of God's people with God's glory. The Apostle Paul builds on the angel talk and takes the understanding and experience of God's glory one step further in writing to the Corinthians. For it is God who said, let light shine out of darkness, Paul writes who has shown in our hearts to give the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let your glory shine, O Lord, that we might be saved. And with the angels, the invitation to experience God's glory comes not on the backside, but out in front. The angel tells of the now and future glory of God, Not the crumbs of God's glory, but the full radiance of God's glory come down in and through Jesus Christ. The Lord's glory, not in the past, but the Lord's glory in all of its divine abundance in the child Jesus, in his life and death and resurrection. An encounter with these angels of the nativity is an encounter with God's glory. The reaction to and the encounter with the glory of God, the face of God, moves from curse or fear to wonder and exuberant praise. God's glory on display results in worship and wonder for Zechariah and for Mary and for the shepherds. God's glory revealed elicits our praise, our worship, not our fear, but our wonder. Let your glory shine, O God, that we might be saved. Martha Moore Keish, a professor from Columbia Seminary, offers an interesting twist on the angels and their song, Gloria. She points out that the shepherds themselves, they were somehow moved or or changed by the vision and the voice of the heavenly host. They went to Bethlehem only after that heavenly light show of praise. And when they returned, glorifying God and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, they would have been talking not just about Mary and Joseph and the babe, but they would have been talking about that angel song, too. Because, after all, that Gloria helped them to see Jesus. Maybe we need to reverse our ordinary ordering when it comes to singing Gloria, Professor suggests. Instead of recognizing the birth of Jesus and then bursting into song, maybe we hear and sing Gloria and are therefore moved, changed, enabled, empowered, blessed, restored, to see the entrance of Jesus into the world. God's glory, God's face, and our act of praise. The celebration of the Lord's Supper is an act of praise. Yes, it is remembering. Yes, it is communing. It is receiving. It is giving thanks. But it is also an act of praise. Accept this, our sacrifice of praise, O God, for great is the mystery of faith. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. This, our sacrifice of praise. And once again, this Advent, in the telling, in the singing, in the feasting, in the shouting, let our Gloria burst forth in the face, burst forth that our hearts might, that our hearts might be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Our worship and wonder in the power of the Spirit and by God's grace enabling, inspiring, and empowering one another and others to not simply see a baby Jesus, but to see and experience and to live into the world that God so loves. The world into which Jesus was born, the world for which Jesus died and rose again. Restore us, O God of hosts, let your face shine that we might be saved. The face of God, the glory of God, the songs of angels, and God's glory shining in the face of the child Jesus. Over in my office, I have a table of pictures of family and friends. There's a picture of my clergy group that I've been together with for 35 years. There's a picture of our daughters, at our daughter's wedding with my dear friend Rabbi Feldman and myself. There are other wedding pictures, there are vacation pictures, mostly pictures of our kids, and now our grandchildren. I have a picture of Hannah when she was three or four, dressed as an angel for a Christmas pageant. You could have guessed the costume if you didn't look at it. It's every angel's costume, costume everywhere. White choir surplus, a tiny garland, ring on her head for the halo. Hannah with a finger in her mouth, smiling and looking right at the camera. With the flash of the camera, back then, gives her halo an unforgettable sparkle, a twinkle, a shine. That toddler angel is now a mother of two. Maybe we're not sure what to do with angels, other than enjoy them and their attire in a Christmas pageant. But when I think of a whole host of little angels everywhere who put on a white surplus and a halo and sing, "Glory." Were all the wise ones who put on a hat from Burger King? All the shepherds who brought a bathrobe from home? All the Marys who held the baby Jesus and the Josephs who were just glad to not have a speaking part? When I think of all of those, whether they knew it or not, leading congregation after congregation, generation after generation, in hearing and singing glory to God. Angels in white surpluses and twinkling gardens, gar- garlands, leading the followers of Jesus as they are once again moved, changed, enabled, empowered, blessed, restored to see the entrance of Jesus into the world. And in every generation, those pageant characters now grown, that motley crew who tell again and again of the Savior's birth, they become the hands and the feet of Jesus as he works to restore, to save, to make his face shine in the world that he so loves. Angels always looking to pointing to, witness, and reveal the once and future glory of God. You, me, and the angels all around us. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we might be saved. Amen.